Voice of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This week, we explore how God grants us free will in our lives, but sometimes we desperately want to control everything. In this sermon, we explore what have we learned to let go and just abide. We started a new series last week called Into the Wild. This is exploring the Israelites and how they're in the wilderness and how we are kind of in a wilderness as a church right now, too, of this, this in-between time between Russ retiring and interim coming and then ultimately uh, down the road of having a new pastor join us. That This feels like we're in this, this wilderness together. Last week we talked about never forget and how sometimes when we forget about what God has done for us, where God has been for us in the past, If we forget about that, then we try and control things for ourselves. But if we remember what God did for us, that helps inform us of where we are and where we're going. So today, from the scripture that um, the Vandenbosch has read for us, it's talking about that, that moment where the Israelites started to decide, we need to control this right now. So in our own lives, have you ever had a moment where you have said this phrase? It's the principle of the matter. When we've been upset, usually for me, it's, it's something that I just can't let go of, right? It's something that I'm just holding on to. Like, but it's, it's not really about that, but it's the principle of it. And we do that with things that we know or we think we're correct about. So I want to do a little quiz to, you know, make me feel better about things that I know. And you're going to participate in that with me. So uh, maybe all of us have different knowledge of things. You know, one of mine is, as a pastor, scripture, theology, history, things like that. Uh, but I also have a passion for movies, so I'm going to have some questions. And you, I want somebody, if you know it or if you think you know it, you could raise your hand and we can answer it. And then I could tell you you're wrong, and then we'll have a good time, okay? <laughs> I'll have a good time. All right, so first... What excluded film in the 2008 Academy Awards changed the amount of films that could be nominated for Best Picture? Yeah, silence. (laughs) Anybody know? Anybody want to get a stab at it? Sound of music. Music. (laughs) It's a few years off there. It was The Dark Knight. Dark Knight was thought to be a Best Picture nominee, a Best Picture contender, and got uh, snuffed out from it. So then they expanded the amount of films that could be nominated for Best Picture after that year. So now we have up to 10 that could be nominated rather than five. Citizen Kane won Best Picture in 1942. Is this true or false? Is that a true over there, false over there? I mean, this is an easy one. 50-50 here, so... But it's false. In 1942, How Green Was My Valley won Best Picture. And that's weird, right? Because Citizen Kane just sticks in, in culture. We just think about that all the time. And have, when was, was this the first time any of you heard of this movie? So it's, it's one of those things where uh, you kind of get confused about. And then Back to the Future had been filming for six weeks before the director decided to fire the actor playing Marty McFly and replace them with Michael J. Fox, who is the fired actor. Let 
just hear some murmuring. No answers here on this one. All right. As Eric Stoltz, they had filmed for six weeks, and they thought he just wasn't right for the, uh, the role. Now, this is a lot of useless knowledge that I hold in my head. But I feel good about the fact that I knew it, and some of you didn't. It's a little uh, dopamine hit, okay? Because studies have shown that when we think we are right, when we, are, we think we're proven right, even if we're wrong, but if our biases are confirmed for us, then we get a little dopamine hit in our brain. And so we literally, be, literally become addicted to the sensation of rightness, that I am correct, that this, is, this feels good when this happens. And so your body doesn't discriminate against pleasure. It can become addicted to any activity or substance that consistently produces this dopamine. And so that's why, you know, you see people that they, they may not have any kind of substance problem, but maybe work is that. Maybe there's a hobby that they just have to do all the time. That Anything that gives us that, that dopamine hit can become something addictive. So this might be something that can help us explain how we are... Uh, how we scroll through the news, how we scroll through our phone all the time, just to find something that confirms how we feel and that we are correct. Now, sometimes it's small things like movie trivia. Other times it could be deeper things like not being able to let go of deep insecurity you have in your life, that that voice you hear in your head that tells you you're not enough constantly. Or we have clenched fists around all kinds of things, people, substances, money, sex, things like that. We attempt to manage away the pain of life and control our sense of freedom and destiny by clenching our fists tight, thinking that that might help us, that these are the things that are going to help us get through, and we can't let go. It gives us that sense of control. Control seemed a lot better to the Israelites than following God. Because that offer and that promise of shalom, that promised land, was seemed so far off that they felt like they couldn't trust God anymore. So they took things into their own hands. They trusted themselves. And so in our scripture today, we, uh, we read 1 Samuel 8, and it shows us that control, that Israel demanded a king. God told them, you don't need a king. I am your king that I lord over you. But they wanted a human king. A human king who could be manipulated, coerced, and even bought. So here are some of the kings that Israel went through. First, King Saul, who is famously known for reigning very selfishly. Then there's King David, a king after God's own heart, but then also abused his power. Then King Solomon, David's son, would follow in his father's lead. In Ecclesiastes, we get all that documentation of, of how Solomon led and attempts to control through sex, money, relationships, and even religion. Religion can be a tool to control also. So within a generation, the nation of Israel would be split between north and south. Clenched fists were created. But then Jesus arrives on the scene. At some point. By the time Jesus arrives, the Israelites are a showcase of all kinds of control. All right? Control strategies. So first, we look at the... Did I skip over all the... No? Okay. I don't have those slides, but we'll, we'll be okay. All right? So 
Pharisees found control and identity through the law, right? You had to follow the law. The law. Sadducees, they, they had control strategies through political savvy, and bargaining uh, became their control and identity. The Jewish zealots were uh, controlled had control strategies by the sword that they didn't care about rules or procedures, but power came through might for them. And then the, es- the Essenes, they, theirs was control through avoidance, that living on their own in the desert under strict discipline, that we need to just get away from the city and all those people and be out on our own. Those were the different things that Jesus encountered. And the, the irony of this is that Jesus affirmed each aspect of these controlling identities, but then shows them something larger, that these all can be a part of something else larger. So with the, the Pharisees, he affirmed the law, but then he said, but I'm here to fulfill it. With the Sadducees, he affirmed the political action and also reminded them to pay Caesar his dues. Then the zealots, he affirmed righteous anger by turning over the tables in the temple. In the Essenes, he affirmed separation by his own actions of taking time away and retreating often, even when work was to be done, to show that there is time where we need to rest. Jesus then invited all these groups, though, to a faith that let go. A faith that let go of these ways in which we try to control each other and control our own lives. It was sealed by his own call and his own example that he refused to defend himself. He submitted to absolute vulnerability, hanging naked on a cross before his mocking accusers. So we tend to only trust God when we absolutely have to, right? In good times, we just thank God. But then when it gets really bad, we're like, oh, I just, I need to trust in God now. Feels like almost when we're forced to do it, we that's the only time we want to do it. We otherwise we we have clenched fists with everything else in our lives until we are forced to open them. We turn good things that God gives us into weapons of control. We do it all the time. And I think one one thing that helped me kind of think through some of this, and maybe how we should be or try to be, strive to be, is thinking of a movie and thinking of a character in a movie. Now, whenever we show movies and examples like that in here, I just want to reiterate, it's not always an endorsement. So don't go watch a movie and be like, you told me to watch it, Pastor Jordan. So the, the movie in question is called The Big Lebowski. And uh, there's, there's different, we'll get to that in a second, but I want to tell a, a kind of an idea in ancient Jewish, uh, Yiddish, and um, in their, their history, there's a person called the, and I don't speak Yiddish very well, but it's Lamed Vavnik, okay? This refers to, there are 36 righteous people on earth. And this comes from the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah where uh, God asks Abraham to go find so many righteous people. And he finds so many, then it goes down to 36, then it's like 12, and then it's all of a sudden, it's only Lot is the only righteous person there. So the idea is a Lamed Vanik is one of 36 righteous people on earth at all times because otherwise God would just destroy everything. That there are 36 righteous people to keep God from destroying the world. So Jeffrey Lebowski, the dude in The Big Lebowski, 
his story in this in this movie is that he's kind of this bumbling person. He's kind of this slacker, but he's always somebody that always tries to do the right thing, no matter what. He is unfailingly kind, and kindness and and caring for people. And in different examples, in this one here, his landlord asks him to come to his one-person dance show to give him notes afterwards. He wants to know how well he did. And it's a very interesting dance show, if you've ever seen the movie. But he does it. He says, yes, I'll come do that. And then in their bowling league, when an opponent on the other team uh, ridicules or says something offensive to his friend Walter, Walter pulls a gun on him and and... Jeffrey or the dude gets in between and says, he's a pacifist, man. Just, he's fragile. Leave him alone. He intervenes. And then they have a friend, Donnie, back there who dies from a heart attack at one point in the movie. And the dude accompanies Walter to scattering of his ashes. But his ashes, when they're spread, blow back into the dude's face while he's sitting there. And for a moment, he gets angry, but then he stops, and he just gives him a big hug. So every step of the way, there's things that can, can knock him off of his kindness, but he still chooses kindness. And it's kind of a, a direct um, difference from the other character, Walter, who is very legalistic, very by the rule book. Everything has to be certain and in place. And so on, on this way to the conclusion of the plot, uh, the dude is pummeled time and time again. He's like a martyr for the cause of righteousness. He's beaten by thugs on two occasions, verbally assaulted by the big Lebowski, uh, and attacked while in his bathtub, menaced by a deranged Corvette owner with a crowbar, involved in three car accidents, clobbered by muscle men, drugged, thrown out of a moving taxi, and more. And there's this Hebrew, Hebrew proverb that says, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And so in the movie, towards the end, um, they find out that the guy, through this whole plot, um, he kind of gets caught up in. It was all this plot for this, this rich man to steal money from his own foundation. And so, at the end, there's a narrator that says, the dude is out there taking it easy for all of us sinners. Grace that is manifested through unexpected kindness, grace that is manifested through unmerited goodwill, giving someone a break when they don't deserve it, showing up for the semis of the bowling league, even when he has a bad attitude, just because it means so much to the rest of the team, hugging it out instead of slugging it out. The dude shows us to abide. It means to wait patiently for something, to endure without yielding, to accept without objection. Abiding is not easy. Abiding is hard, especially in a culture that is driven by success and instant gratification, anything we want at our fingertips. But really, the big Lebowski and the dude is all about being kind, to treat others as you want to be treated. Whether the dude is a Lamed Vavnik, an angel in disguise, or merely a kind-hearted loser, he still shows us that we should treat him as he treats us, with respect and compassion. So that's the idea in this book, that this movie and this character is one of those 
Um, Ahmed Vinix, Vinix. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Somebody's going to email me. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but these—he's showing us a way of life that you continue to have kindness again and again, even when you're pushed down, even when you're beaten down. That kindness again and again gets back up. That letting go of the things that we wish we can control helps us live into a life more of grace, where we don't feel like we have to control everything, that we get to be a part of this constant movement of God in our world. So what are your hands clenching? Where are you finding it hard to let go? Where are you finding it hard to let go in your life and to just abide? Are you a Christian whose hands are clenched tightly around the need to be theologically right? Are you the lawyer who lives for the next argument, unable to relate in any other way besides conflict? Are you the skeptic who can't relinquish control to a God you just cannot imagine? So how do we live with unclenched fists? How are, what's some things that we can do to help us do that? I think there's three things that help us with it. Community church community, people who care about you. You heard it from Joellen and Rick, their experiences of how they uh, experience community here even in the toughest times of their life and in the joyous times too. Community can help us be able to let go of certain things. Spiritual practices, whether it's, it's, it's prayer or reading scripture or any other of the many spiritual practices we have, that helps us center ourselves on being a child of God and trusting in God no matter what. That no matter what happens, that we're okay. That God is still with us. And then lastly, familiarity with scripture and the wisdom of it. As I said last week, I love the story of the Israelites because it's a story that happens again and again. It's a rhythm. It's, it's something that happens throughout history. We are the Israelites. We are the ones walking in the wilderness time and time again, wanting some kind of control. God's giving us stuff and we're like, no, we actually want this. We want a king. We want, we want to do this on our own because it feels like what you are doing is not coming fast enough. Scripture can give us insight into the wisdom of how that works out in our own lives and how to break that cycle. So living with open hands can be a gift. It's, it's grace, even if momentarily. It can be a glimpse into the reality of the kingdom of God here and now. It's a foretaste of things that will be, but are not yet. Think about this when we think about the future of new hope. Do we have open hands where we can trust in God and we can just abide in this season? Can we trust that God has brought the right people into leadership, brought the right people into our own lives and congregation to help us come together during this transition? What are the things that we need to let go of with our clenched fists? What are the things that we need to open our hands with as a church community in order to let God work in us and through us in a different way? What will it look like when we do that? What will it bring about? And where will it eventually bring us? It's the same thing as last week, that no matter where it brings us, God is still going to be with us. So better start practicing opening those hands. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, may you continue to open our hearts and minds to the ways in which you are working before us. Help us to let go of the things that we hold on to with clenched fists. 
that we may be able to abide, may we be able to learn from the different stories in our culture of the ways in which we can continue to show compassion and kindness, even in the midst of hate and turmoil. May you give us that peace to be the church here and now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.